0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran San Francisco-based jazz guitarist Ray Obiedo. He opened up about his great 2019 CD called Carousel, His ninth release, it's another collection of original compositions fused with contemporary jazz, Latin, and Brazilian-styled themes. He grew up in the East Bay and very early on recognized his own profoundly soulful musical connection to the Northern California region and its blend of exotic multi-ethnic rhythms. He has had numerous trips across the Bay to places like the Fillmore Auditorium and Winterland to hear and go backstage to hang with the likes of legends jimmy hendrix led zeppelin janice joplin the great isaac hayes and even sly stone he had a world tour back in 1978-79 to 79 with jazz superstar herbie hancock and that was a huge mark on his early memory he talks about this and so much more so please get to know him and dig this interview my friends
1: okay ray thank you for taking a minute out for neon jazz man i appreciate it
0: oh uh, hey
1: my pleasure <laughs> So, I have already played Carousel on the show. I loved it so much, so it's a pleasure to speak with you, and I really want to dive into this. This is your ninth release, and it's just as good as all of your material always is. So, talk to me about your vision for this project.
2: This is an interesting project because uh, a good portion or a good majority of these tunes uh, have been... uh, kind of laying around if you will for a few years and uh, there are cuts that I hadn't uh, completed uh, more than 50% easily and I always loved the tunes I just didn't complete them so I decided let me get in there and uh, you know started well we we updated everything you know added percussion new solos but I thought, yeah, let me let me complete it because I, I really love these tunes, and uh, there's I think two, only two or three uh, new compositions. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting because I'm looking. I go, wow, this is the way I wrote, composed 15 years ago, and it sounds <laughs> very similar to how I write now. So I guess it doesn't matter. It still it, it still sounds fresh. It seems like, well, it sounds fresh to most at least. So I guess my my writing skills haven't changed much, which I guess in some ways is good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, so that's uh, what this um, album, you know, this is, it's typical of all my CDs where I have uh, uh, two or three different genres. You know, I have a little funk in there, a little fusion, there's a, there's always a a Brazilian cut or two, and then there's always kind of a Latin a mambo or cha-cha. I just, I just, you know, I love all those styles. I love all those genres. So I just throw it all in the bowl,
1: you know, and, and see what sticks. But Absolutely. Well, and you got mm-hmm. Toots on here. You got Bob Minster. You got a nice lineup going on here. So it just sounds like you had a really good conversation going throughout the whole album.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Toots, of course, that was... Uh, I uh, He recorded actually two tunes a few years ago. One I did release a couple albums ago. And then uh we just didn't complete this particular cut. And I said, man, I cannot let this thing just sit in the computer for all these years. So uh I completed the rhythm tracks around Toots. I changed, I brought a whole new rhythm section in and just kept whatever Toots had played. And it, you know, I think it sounds fresh, you know. And the same with Bob Mincer. You know, Bob is a, is a pretty good friend now. I played in his Bob Mincer Big Band, his R&B Big Band that he did a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, whenever I call Bob, he's there. Hey, whatever you need, man, let me know. So it's kind of nice to have a, a someone like a Bob Mincer just eager to jump on the project, you know.
1: Right on. So mm-hmm. you grew up in the East Bay, and... Have always kind of had a connection to music. To so talk to me about your childhood and how you really kind of got woven into jazz, more or less. Yeah, I uh, for the
2: most part, from around seventh, eighth grade on, uh, starting in the eighth grade, I started. I was playing. I just played drums, and I was a really in. I love drums to this day. I have three drum sets here. I'd rather play drums than guitar, but so uh, you know, played uh, you know high school bands. Uh, R&B bands, and then I decided after seeing Eric Clapton and The Cream, uh, I said, man, it looks, looks more fun to be the guitar player in front of the band as opposed to the in behind the band. So around the 12th grade, I bought a guitar and then started really getting into it. You know, learning all styles. And, um, and uh, for two or three years, I played in mostly, like, doo groups, you know, backing up R&B-type singing groups in Richmond, California and Berkeley and the like. Oakland. It just led into other musics, you know, listening to all the different there's so many all the bands are so eclectic in the Bay Area. There was always a funk band, there was a, um you know two or three great funk bands, then the jazz bands and the Latin bands, it's just like, man, it's all here. So it expanded. I it just expanded my um horizon, so to speak, and really got into the Latin jazz, uh, thing and, um, and kind of continue our, actually continue on all the genre. I love playing funk. You know, I really love the James Brown, uh, some of his earlier CDs with some of those great rhythm tracks that they had. And then of course there's all, you know, all the Latin jazz stuff in the Bay Area. It was just, it was just easy to gravitate towards all that stuff and, and, and take it all in and embrace it and, and you know, hopefully be well be versed in all those uh, different styles of music. So, um, But it's all here, you know, the Bay Area is just like has all this uh, great music just to absorb. So that's what I did, still doing it, actually.
1: And in those early days at the Fillmore and the Winterland, you got to see Hendrix and Zeppelin and Joplin and Isaac Hayes. That had to leave a deep impression on your music mind. Oh yeah, yeah, that that was really crazy. I remember I saw Jimi Hendrix three times,
2: and two of those times we snuck in. <laughs> you know, can you imagine sneaking into anything today? It's just oh spaghetti. man, yeah, would sneak right. in to see. And then one of the shows at Winterland, we actually my best friend at the time. We said, hey, let's go backstage, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so we walked backstage and hanging out with Jimi Hendrix at the, uh, you know, just hanging out. I go, what? This is crazy. But we didn't think anything of it then. But can you yeah. imagine walking backstage to anything? Today? Never. This no,
1: Never. Ain't gonna happen. Uh-huh.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that most people, more people didn't take advantage of just being able to walk backstage and hang out with, with Led Zeppelin, you know? It's yeah. Like, what? Yeah. But we were musicians, so we really wanted to get next to other musicians, especially musicians like that, it was crazy to be, you know. Just I don't know. It was, a, it was a great time, but things have certainly changed. But boy, that was inspiring to hear to hear Led Zeppelin. I mean, I, I still think about those two or three concerts. I was just just uh, blown away because it was really like a even at Winterland or Fillmore. Led Zeppelin concerts were really concert like. People were really listening very carefully to that band there was you know no jumping around and acting you know acting like a rock rock and roll crowd they were really checking it out you know yeah just, just, yeah it was great it was really great but uh yeah I, that influenced a lot of us musicians in the bay to be able to see these folks you know, this, i used to see the grateful dead all the time they would play in golden gate park for free just play it in some little small stage you know and not that I'm a dead head by no means really impressed with that band. It was, it was very improvisational, as you know. They just You know, take a theme and play it for for many, many minutes. And it was really cool yeah. to see that. You know, it's kind of unstructured, you know, and, and as opposed to a three or four minute pop tune. Here's a band that's just jamming, man. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the the one thing that you've also done, especially in the world of jazz over the years, is you played with you know Johnny Hammond Smith and Julian Priester, there's been a lot of names. But the one thing I want to ask you about, because all of these people that you played with have had an effect on you. You've learned something from them. But that world (laughs) tour with Herbie Hancock had to be huge. Well, you know, uh,
2: Herbie used a lot of the Bay Area guys here back in the headhunters days, 73, 74. It it seemed like, God, if these other fellows from the Bay can play with Herbie, you know, we all got a chance, you know. And it happened there was an Eddie Henderson trumpet player. Eddie Henderson had a had a recording session. It was around '77, I believe. And I sure I'm able to do the session. I didn't think anything of it. Went to the rehearsal hall. It was Eddie Henderson. It was uh, Hubert Laws. It was Paul. And it was just like what the heck? And in walks Herbie Hancock. And I looked at Paul, the the bass player, who actually called me. I said, "Herbie's on this record." He goes, Oh yeah, I didn't mention him. No, you didn't. Uh, did a session with him, and then after the session, you know, I guess I impressed him enough for him that he that he asked me if I wanted to do his next tour with him. I think just playing with someone of that caliber, obviously. I mean, you know, when I when I compose tunes now, I think of the, how Herbie writes and how he approaches music, and just the fact that, you know, how e- how actually how easy he was to work with, you know. Uh, he was very open to suggestions from the rhythm section. You know, he always asked about our ideas, what we should do to a song. This is at recording sessions and at rehearsals. I was very impressed with that. How someone of his caliber could be so open to just us putting our two cents in? You know, I try to do that with my band. Just yeah, sure. You know, it's just <laughs> it might might be my group, but man, you gotta you gotta interject. You gotta. Uh, hopefully make it sound better than it is. And Herbie was, it was really fun to play with someone like that. You know, it was, it was very, very open-minded to all the different styles of music. And we were actually playing um, on this particular tour, the uh, Feed on Family Now tour, where he was using the vocoder, <laughs> And a lot of people didn't dig that one. You know, they wanted to hear his old classics, which he did. He played, we played some of the old classics. We start breaking out the disco groove and, and the vocal is like, oh boy. Not a good idea than many of the venues that
1: we played,
2: but I'm glad that he was open to, to trying something new.
1: You know, I heard that same sentiment. He came to Kansas City a few years ago and I heard some people say that and you know, that's just kind of what happens with these cats. They've been around, they've gone through a lot of musical genres. But the one thing I wanna ask you that I find very interesting and refreshing and beautiful about the world of jazz and jazz musicians is i interviewed a 13 year old from miami named brandon goldberg and he got to meet herbie and i was kind of trying to probe him a little bit about what that was like and he said that yeah. herbie was so grounded so humble it, it was almost like he didn't want to talk about him and he wanted to take away from the fact that he was herbie hancock and he was the 13 year old was kind of blown away by that and i guess my question is this you know all I've ever gotten from the highest level of jazz artistry from someone like Sonny Rollins. And, you know, he, he was one of the most human, grounded, just a just, just guy, man. I mean, just, sure, there was sure. nothing about superstars. So my question is this. How did this happen in the world of jazz where these musicians are so grounded and so full of humility and their ego is always kind of checked out at the door? How did, how did that happen? And how does that feel to be in a fraternity of people that are so grounded like that?
2: I, I play in all genres of music, you know. For, for many years, I just played R and B, you know, and I, I think we're. You say grounded. I think we're, you know. It, it, obviously, it depends on the individual, but I, I really, I love um, being really open about, you know. Some people don't like to spread the the love or spread the their the knowledge. And I do feel that with jazz musicians, for the most, most part, they have, they're always kind of in a teaching mode, you know what I mean? It's like just just the general, um, the kind of music we play. You know, you're playing the melody, and then you, you move on to a, a great uh, improvisational section. And then you're kind of teaching at that point. And I think if someone were to ask you questions about, your approach, I think, you're very open. At least most of the musicians I've played with, jazz musicians, if you will, and I'm not a straight-ahead player, but we—I use a lot of um, um, jazz elements, you know, harmonically and otherwise. But I—I I think nothing's more fun, or than at the end of a set when someone, you know, wants to know about how you approach a certain tune, you know, what kind of scales do you use. I just think, and you know, for sure, Herbie Hancock was. Definitely open about that. He just was almost in kind of a teaching mode, which was very nice, you know. Um, yeah, there's been some, um, you know, uh, jazz music I've run into that are just very closed, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on, man. It's a simple question, dude, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, yeah, in, in fact, it's interesting. Most of the musicians that play in my band or bands uh, teach. They just all teach, and it's, it's just very important for them to continue to teach and to continue to learn. So
1: it's very cool, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. Let me ask you this. If you, if you have a dream tonight, you run into yourself in your, like, mid-20s, what advice would you give your younger self?
2: You know what? For me, it would be practice.
1: <laughs> More
2: practicing. and Because uh, I, I didn't practice very much and I don't practice now Uh and, and the guitar that is so that's one kind of seems like a, uh, a typical answer practice man you know but uh I often quite often I'm producing different artists uh, singers instrumentalists and they often want to do cover tunes they want to do a Duke Ellington tune, a Miles Davis tune, or they want to sing Stevie Wonder, or they want to sing. And I just encourage them big time to compose, to write. You know, if you feel like you're not that good of a writer yet, uh, co-write with someone, because um, for the most part, I write all my tunes, all all the compositions on my records. Uh, the last record I released uh, were some cover tunes. Pito Puente, some Brazilian composers. It was purposely done that way, but I just think it's kind of odd to um, to do a Stevie Wonder cover and then you know, Stevie Wonder reaps the benefits. You know, I mean, Stevie Wonder has enough money in his publishing company. You know, so I think just build your catalog, all constantly write. That's what I do, even if it's a very simple um, two or three chord ditty. I just think it's just very important to write, and uh, even if you co-write, but just to do it, you know. And I did that from early on, you know, as soon as I was really able to play any kind of significant kind of chord. Um, uh, you get a little more, more uh, take a handle at some more jazz chords. I, w- I just wrote. I mean, that was like literally from high school, you
1: know. That's very important. After all of these years of being a musician and being in the business and everything you've done, what's been the greatest part of it?
2: Well, I think the biggest joy that I have,
1: even t- just the
2: last gig I did was a few days ago, was is the friendship, you know? I think uh, for many of us, the important one of the important things is you know, the friends that we have. I love playing a gig. Uh, Well, I like playing gigs, but I actually love the hanging with fellow musicians. I think that's just so important because I thought about it. I have a couple of artist friends who are painters, I should say, and and they just, they don't hang out with anyone, you know. Mm -hmm. They're in their basement or in their art studio and uh, they paint. and draw, and that's kind of their, their very, very kind of lonely existence. But when we're creating our art, we're hanging with our friends, you know. Um, and I, I think that, boy, I just love that part, and I think most musicians do. They just love to play and love to hang, and take long breaks and talk. And this is where, these are my friends. This is when I, when I, All my friends are musicians, so it's fun to do gigs. And... um be with your friends—an assortment of friends. It's not always the same band, of course, you know. So uh, I, I just love that part. I look forward to any upcoming gig, no matter what it is. If it's a big concert, if it if it's a tour, or even if it's like a casual, like a fundraiser or, or a wedding, or something. I just think it's just so much fun to hang out with your, with your um, fellow musicians. Yeah, I have a great time doing that. Very fun.
1: So, <laughs> an- answer
2: me this: Why do you love jazz? I just love the improvisational part of it. I really do. You know, um, to take something that's just (laughs) hopefully hasn't been said before. I know that's that's a that's a difficult one, but um, just expand on it. And I like the. You know what? I also like, especially in my band or bands, I should say, is the the group improvisational part because we will play some of the same tunes. We've been playing these things for years, but. We will, we'll kind of take tear the the tune apart, and on a given night we might play it twice as fast as it normally is played, and it's just a group. You know, we we tried something once. This was a couple of years ago, and I said, now it's very important for everyone to solo, take a solo. And I said, let's let's try this. Let's let's play the first two or three songs, and not solo at all. Just play the melodies, and then we we improvise as a group. Do something experimental with the rhythm track, with the rhythm, the drum part, the bass part. But no one blowing on top of it. So now everyone's just on there. They got to really be on their toes because now we're, impro- we're improvise a group improvisational <laughs> section for many minutes. It's difficult. It's difficult to come up with new. Um, little rhythm section parts without someone in front soloing. So I really like, um, I like the, just obviously the, the improvisation is just ultra important for me. And that's why I love jazz so much. I mean, when I go and see, no matter who it is, I mean, once, you know, okay, play the melody, not get to the solos, man. You know, I want to see what you do. Or well, I want to see what the rhythm section is doing behind the solos. This is very important. So I think uh, for me, creativity, and it happens all the time, when one of my quote-unquote jazz bands or jazz-like bands uh, play. Because um, I do play, you know, I have a Brazilian-like band and I have a Latin band. And I and we approach, you know, all the music the same way. A lot of group improvisation. It's very important, in addition to the, the solos that we're backing up. But I really love that part of it. Just what journey will we go on tonight? And on each of these tunes is very important.
1: Yeah. Everything's going to come down to this, and I want to know this from you. Everyone has a yeah. version, or an, they have a version or an interpretation of you, your family, your friends, and your fans. But you know yourself best. Who do you think you are? Great dad,
2: great husband, and a, and an and and improving a musician that's always improving, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Right I on. try to improve every day. Yeah,
1: that's all you can do. That's all you can do. And, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. It, and sometimes with with this question, brevity is the best way to go about it. That's a great answer. It's a great way to wrap everything up. This has been a very illuminating interview. I appreciate your time. Thank you for Carousel and all the music and the stories. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you very much, man. Great interview. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in San Francisco, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ray for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.